Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. I wonder what your attitude towards gifts is. Gifts in a sense of presents, so presents, gifts, birthdays, Christmas. What's your attitude towards gifts? Maybe you love, I suppose most of us, most people love to receive gifts. But there are some who get more excited actually about giving gifts than receiving gifts. So Christmas time, you're more excited about going out and buying presents for others and watching them open it and be blessed by it, you know, because you've, you've taken time. Other of us, other, others of us just love to receive, receive gifts. Uh, but for the most part, when we think of gifts, they're, 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 we think of something that's personal, don't we? So, you know, a gift from one person to another, a group of people to, to one person. Uh, obviously, clearly, there are, there are personal gifts, such as a bottle of perfume or aftershave. Well, unless you live in my house. That's not, it's supposed to be personal, but it's not. Me, me and my son, we, we kind of share. Underwear, once again, supposed to be personal. In my house, it doesn't seem to be. Uh, between me and my son, that is. Let's, let's clarify that. Let's clarify that. But yeah, bruv, he's 22 now. Let's clarify that. Between me and my son alone, okay, shoes. Shoes, personal. I mean, you're not, you're not really about to share your shoes, even with your closest of, of the close. Jewelry is a, is a personal gift, isn't it? It's one that you enjoy for yourself. But then there's other gifts that are not merely meant to be for personal use, but they're meant to be shared. Such as a holiday for two. Okay, so somebody buys you a holiday for two in Paris, if you're married. Um, <laughs> let's get that clear. It's not just for you to go away and say, oh, you know, I want to get away from the wife and the kids. It's, it's, it's for both of you. It's to, it's, it's to be shared, even though that might be a temptation for one or the other, for the wife or for the husband. Um, a car, unless it's got one seat in it, it's not, you know, unless, you know, even if it's a, it's a personal gift, but it's meant to be a blessing, it's meant to be shared uh, by others. And there's also other, other things, other types of gifts. So when you think about gifts by way of talents that are meant to be shared. So someone has the gift of singing, I don't have that gift, so I will not be, well, it won't be a blessing, but I won't be sharing that with you today. But some people have the gift, a wonderful voice. They've, they've got a great voice. There was, there was a sister who used to come here. Some of you know Abby Morrow. I'd known Abby for years, and one day went to, to see her at the roundhouse. Oh, my gosh. When I heard her singing, it was literally like butter sliding down a, a hot banister. That's, that was the, the, the kind of tone and the melody. You can picture that was, it. It was, it was just, just sweet to the ears. And you say, you hear it and you say, that's a gift that needs to be shared. It's not, as much as she is, is blessed and benefited in the shower, she needs to share that. Lionel Messi, you watch Lionel Messi with a, with a ball at his foot and, and it's a gift that should be shared that others get to enjoy. So some gifts are personal and then there are gifts that are meant to be shared. And we're going to be looking today at a gift that's definitely not just personal. It is personal, but it is most certainly meant to be shared if you were here last week, then you remember that in the first 26 verses of chapter 4, we're in chapter 4, and uh, Pastor E led us through the first 26 ch- uh, chapters of, uh, chap- 26 verses, should I say, of chapter 4, and we see Jesus purposely going to a well, to a place called Samaria, which is a place that Jews wouldn't usually go to. So he purposely makes this, this journey to meet a woman there, a Samarian woman who is an outcast. She was somebody who would have been despised in, in her community. And he goes there to meet with her. And he starts off a conversation. Uh, just to, it's just him, him alone with her. And he starts off a conversation with her and he asks her for a glass of water. And that conversation leads to him talking to her about living water that he wants to provide for her. Um, the woman tells Jesus that she's been waiting for the Messiah. And then he drops the last verse that you, you would have heard if you were here last week. He drops the bombshell of all bombshells. He says to her, the one that you have been waiting for is me. This is that moment in Superman where Clark Kent reveals to Lois Lane alone. He peels back his top and says, look, it's, I'm, you heard about this guy. <laughs> it's me. This is Spider-Man reveal, you know, taking off his mask. What's his name, Spider-Man? Not Clark Kent. Peter Parker. That's right. This is Peter Parker coming out. But just to this one individual, this is, this is mind-blowing. Yeah, He says to her that I'm the one, I'm the one that you've been waiting for. But, but this is not, not a film. P- 
Peter Parker, Spider-Man, Superman, they are, they're wonderful and they're exciting, but they're not real. This is a very real moment in time where Jesus reveals to a person that he is the Messiah, God's chosen king. The one that when you even travel back to Genesis, God said, okay, I'm going to send somebody who's going to crush the head uh, of the, the serpent. This one is now, Jesus is now revealing himself to be that one, the savior of the world. Let's pray and ask the Lord for help as we get into our text today. <coughs> Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. Lord, I thank you for each and every person here today, Lord. Thank you that you have brought us here, Lord, that you have a desire to speak to us, me included. Lord, thank you that your spirit dwells within me and with all those who, who love you. Lord, thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for today. Lord, I pray that you would help me to bring you glory. Lord, that I would not glory in your presence, Lord, that, that nobody would, would leave here thinking about me or my words, Lord, but that they would be focused on you today. Lord, would you, you help us, Lord, to humble ourselves, Lord, and to lay down our will if it's opposed to yours. And Lord, that we would accept you for who you are. Lord and Savior, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if you guys want to open your Bibles, hopefully you've done that already. As I said, we're in chapter 4, verse 27. I'm going to read verse 27 to 30, and then we'll get into it. So I said, just then the disciples came back. Are you there? That's good. Yeah, good. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man that told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. And stop there for a minute. Picture the scene. Here's Jesus at the well with this Samaritan woman. Her jaw is on the floor, head spinning. Questions, excitement, her mind is blowed at this point. It would be a bit like, imagine if you, I and mean, it might be true for some of you, been playing the lottery for the last five or six or seven years to the point where you've convinced yourself that one day you are going to win. I suppose my mother-in-law is in this place right now. She's been there for many years. Convince yourself to the point where you've planned what you're going to do with the money when it comes. So you're going to pay off your, your debts. You're going to go on holiday. You're going to, there's some people that you're going to bless. Some people you're not necessarily going to bless, but you're going to maybe show off about. There's, there's things that you're going to do. You planned in detail what you're going to do with this one day when you get it. And this day comes and the door knocks and somebody says, you've won. How you might be feeling at that point would give you an inkling to maybe how, maybe how this woman is feeling. And then we have verse 27. Just then the disciples came back. Bang on time. Maybe they heard Jesus saying to her that I, don't, I am the one that you've been looking for. The disciples, remember, um, we'd heard earlier, they'd left Jesus tired and hungry and gone into the city to get food for him. And now they're back. And to their amazement, Jesus is talking with a woman. And if, if you weren't here last week or you don't know necessarily about the culture at the time, men and women... Women were second-class citizens. So Jesus, even approaching and speaking to a woman, particularly in public, was a, a, a major faux pas. It was, you don't do that. Not something that you do. So Jesus is, is, is breaking these cultural, social things that are acceptable. He's, he's, and you know, she was amazed that he, that he would even talk to him. But now they've come back and they're amazed that also that he's talking. But they don't say anything. So they think, they're thinking, what's my man doing talking to her? We've gone out to get him food. We've come back and now he's talking to this woman in the middle of the day. This potentially maybe a brazen, we don't know. This, this situation is not necessarily looking good, but they don't say anything. Maybe it's because, it's not necessarily negative, maybe it's just because they're, they're beginning to get used to Jesus just doing things that just are mind-blowing for them and, and they, they may, you know, maybe put their foot in it and then Jesus has to correct them. We don't know what the reason is, but they, they don't say anything. We can be like that, though, can't we, with regards to like the disciples? Like, why is he talking to her? Why is he wasting his time with that person? Why are we thinking about reaching out to that group of people? 
Why are we sharing the gospel with somebody like that? It's a waste of time. So even though Jesus' behavior is shocking and unusual, given the time and the culture, his disciples are potentially learning a lesson here from him again. So meanwhile, the woman who would come out, of the, come, come out to the well um, in the midday sun, remember, bringing what would have been potentially a big, quite a big water jar to get, to get, uh, to get water. She's, so it's already an, an undesirable job. It wouldn't have been a great job, but it's an important job, going out and getting the water and, and, and bringing uh, the water home. She does something that I'm sure, even though the text doesn't say us, but I, 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 I can probably vouch for it, she's never done before. Obviously, it takes a long time and an effort to go to, to get the water. She's, she, and she, if we look at verse 28, so the woman left her water jar and went into the town. She leaves her water jar and goes into the town. Now, the Holy Spirit, clearly, who's leading John to write this, has put this in here for a reason. Doesn't explain to us what the what the reason is. There's different ideas about maybe why she left the water jar. Was it that she left it in appreciation for Jesus, so that he could continue to have a, have a drink? Um, but I think probably a more natural reading is is that she was just excited. She's excited, so excited, her mind's blown at what Jesus has just told her that everything else pales into insignificance. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where where you get some news. It could be good or bad. And something that was very important before, all of a sudden now, is, is not important. I remember when my son was, when my wife was pregnant with my, my first son, I was at work in the city, got the phone, you know, any minute she's going to kind of go into labor, I'm not, I'm not sure, so I'm still going out to work, got the phone call, and I was doing a really important job at the time, and I dropped everything, and I got home. It felt like I got home in about 10 minutes, I don't even remember the journey. But everything else was no longer important. It was all eclipsed now by this new, this new priority. And look at what she leaves her water jar to do. Having met with Jesus, she rushes back to her hometown where it's likely, as I said before, she wouldn't normally be going up speaking to people. I mean, she probably lived a a life where she kind of kept herself to herself. Living in shame before now, she's shameless. She shamelessly goes up to men and women, people, to tell them what's happened to her. She's excited even at the possibility that this, this could be the Messiah. And I say possibility because if you notice in where she says, could this be the Christ? Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And the, the, the sense is, is, is this couldn't be the Christ, could it? So there, there's a sense of her believing and yet it's kind of, maybe it's not, it's not a, 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 a full faith, but there's a, a real excitement excitement she wants wants um these guys to come with her so forgive me now so having met with jesus she rushes back so do, do you i don't know if you remember the feeling of when you first met christ if you're a christian now obviously you didn't physically meet him but when you first come into a relationship or you first begun to understand that there's a there's a god that loves me and it's possible for my sins, the things that I've done, and I know there are many, to be forgiven. There's somebody called a saviour who, who if, if what I'm reading or what I'm hearing is, is true, is able to save me. The excitement that you felt to the point where you, you want to go up on a rooftop and you, you want to shout it, don't you? You want to tell everyone about it. And yet then reason or, or, or common sense kicks in, shall we say, and it's like, oh, well, yeah, I want to do that, but oh, I can't necessarily do that. She's excited. This woman, she's not a theological scholar. As far as we know, she didn't go to, to, to Bible college. As far as we can tell, she's biblically green. Doesn't really know much about God's word or even about this Jesus that she's just met. But she has met Jesus, and that's what she does know. And so that's what she uses. She's excited. Can, can this be the Christ? She says. And so what she does is she waits for a few years until she's got all of her understanding about God straight. And she's able to put a powerful and pristine gospel message together. And then she unleashes her message on her family members every time they mention the word God. I don't think it says that, does it? That That definitely would be reading into the text. She doesn't do that. She's got a simple message, but she's passionate about it. 
basically I've met a man who told me things about myself that only God could know. And I believe he could be sent from God to save the world. But you know what? You come. Come and see. You come yourself. Come and see. She's been given a gift and she wants to share it. I meant to have it up there earlier, so it's my, my bad. This is my title. That really helps you now, doesn't it? <laughs> so, a heavenly, gift to be, a heavenly gift to be shared. Uh, sorry about my... I uh, lost my place, so forgive me. Uh, so, she's been given a gift and she wants to share it with others. And look at what happens next. These people don't just ignore her or disregard her. They leave whatever they're doing. This is a person who would have been ignored or, or disregarded before. Now they're, they're listening to her. She's so passionate and excited that they're listening to her and they're, they're following her. They're going out with her now to see Jesus. The scary thing is that many of us have met Jesus. Many of us have this gift of eternal life. And yet we're treating this gift as if it's a personal gift. It's a gift just for me. It's, it's, this is like the shoes or the underwear or the jewellery. It's, it's just for me. And yet, actually, it's not meant to be that way, is it? It's meant to be shared. We treat Jesus like he's our favorite toy, not to be shared with anyone else. My son will tell you about that. He's only three, and we're working with him at the moment. This woman's so excited at meeting Jesus that she didn't even care that she, whether she's going to be rejected or laughed at. She doesn't care about that. And many of us probably start off our Christian walk like this, don't we? excited and passionate and we want to tell people about the Lord. Maybe there's some here who've never had that. You've never really been that excited about Jesus. But for some of us, we have known that excitement and what it is to want to go and tell everybody. But over a period, maybe after a time of rejection or whatever, whatever happens over a period of time, the, kind of the, the light begins to flicker and begins to, to go out. One of the things I struggle with is making things too difficult. That's just in kind of every area of my life. So when I, when I have thought in the past about evangelism and, and particularly going out on the street and sharing the gospel with people, in my mind I need a three-point sermon, I need to be ready to answer any question that comes my way. And often I will talk myself out of it because I don't have those things ready yet. Now there's times I've gone out there and I, and I, have, I have shared by God's grace, but I think often we kind of, kind of find ourselves in this place. And yet, we should be encouraged here that this woman's got a simple message. Come and see. I've met someone who claims to be the Messiah. I want you now to come and see him. We can bring people to Jesus, can't we? Not physically, but we can bring them to church. Hopefully, someone is going to be standing there preaching about him. We can bring them to, to, to studies. We can share the word with them. We can help them to, to see the Jesus of the scriptures in our lives also. Anyway, while this miracle was taking place amongst the Samaritans, John switches focus now back to Jesus. Can somebody turn the heating down a little bit, please? Very warm in here. That, along with my voice, will send you to sleep. <laughs> so he switches the focus back to Jesus, um, what's taking place with, with regards to the Samaritans. And Jesus is about to school the Samaritans as to what time it is. He's about to give them a lesson. Because as far as they're concerned, as far as they can see at least, it's dinner time. If you look at verse uh, 31, it says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, which is teacher, eat. They're, they're concerned now for Jesus. They want him to eat. Here we see an all too familiar difference of focus and priority between Jesus and his disciples. Nothing has changed, does it? We can often find ourselves out of step with what the Lord is, is doing. What's this a priority for me, Lord? And it's in your name and I should be doing this. And yet he's like, that my priority is quite different right now. Think of Martha at a priority. She, was, she too wanted to take care of Jesus. She wanted to, to feed Jesus. And Jesus was saying, I want to feed you. You need to sit down. Jesus responds to their concerns for his stomach with a cryptic statement, verse 32. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, as we all would have done. Come on, let's be real. Has anyone brought him something to eat? <laughs> What's going on? I don't see anybody else around him. Maybe someone's been while we've been away. The disciples are once again clueless as to what Jesus is talking about. And so they assume that he must be talking about physical food. As I said, let's not laugh because we too will find ourselves in this place. But Jesus, Jesus goes on to explain, verse 34. He says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. 
Jesus is saying here, he, it isn't saying here to the disciples that phys- physical food isn't important. We know that Jesus, as we've, as we've been looking at, is fully human and he's fully divine. Jesus had a body that needed food. I mean, they've got, and, and the fact that they've gone to get food, I would suggest he's probably sent them to get the food. So he's not saying food's not important. You know, we just, we just live by the Spirit. We do not feed our flesh. We don't need to. He's not saying that, but he's talking about a priority. You think about what food is. What, what does food do for us? It, it gives us strength. It gives us energy. It sustains us. If you if you're to believe the wheat oats packet that I read this morning, it, it gives you strength, alertness, and energy. <laughs> But that's just, I mean, that's just in the form of sugar, but it, it's, it kind of makes, makes the point. So remember Jesus in the desert fasting 40 days and 40 nights. How did he do that physically, given that he's fully man? How was he able to do that? He was able to do it because he was dependent on the Father for strength. He was sustained supernaturally, wasn't he? And he quotes from Deuteronomy, do you remember? That man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. This was Jesus. This is how he lived. This is how he rolled. Jesus is saying to his disciples that what sustains him is actually doing the Father's will and accomplishing his work. Doing the Father's will and accomplishing his work. This is what he lived for. Remember that Jesus, as I said, was fully human and so became physically tired. You see that? We saw that at the beginning of of this chapter, didn't we? He was tired. Forgive me, I know it's a video. So think about what happens to you when you fast and pray. Denying the body of physical food. You pray, hopefully, and the key is fast and pray, isn't it? When you, if you just fast on your own, forget it, you're not going to make it. You, you, because you're, the temptation, I, I've noticed whenever I've, I've been fasting, it seems like not only is food talking to me, but it's everywhere. Or I'm just, I'm just so conscious about how much I eat, I suppose, how often I'm hungry. So you fast and you pray that you'll be able to resist that temptation. And you find that actually you're given strength to continue to fast and to deny your, deny your body, deny your flesh. And your, your spirit is, is fed and sustained by the Lord. So Jesus lived in this perfect place of dependence on the Father to do all, to all, all that the Father had for him to do. He lived there. This is where this is constantly. He lived to do, to do the Father's will. He was strengthened to do it. And what was the Father's will and work for Jesus to do? Well, in John six thirty eight. Sorry, just get past these. It says, "For I have come down from heaven, speaking of Jesus, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me." That was His purpose. And then. Verses 39 to 40, he explains what this will is. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So we see the Father's will for Jesus is that he would provide eternal life. This is the issue. Here is the Father with everybody, everybody is a sinner. Everyone's fallen. Everyone's separated from him because of what happened in the garden. Everyone's now and actually his enemy. And now he, he wants to restore that. He wants to, to bridge that gap. And so he sends Jesus to provide eternal life. All who put their faith and their trust in him, all who look to him will be given eternal life. Then if we look to John 5, 25 to 29, with regards to the last day, says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now, and, and is now where, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Judgment day is coming and Jesus is going to be the judge. And he will determine those who are raised to life, those who have put their faith and their trust, those who have been looking to him, he's going to keep them for this day and ensure that they're raised for eternal life with him. And those who are not in him will be raised for judgment. 
It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful but terrifying truth, isn't it? And then John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What is this gift of eternal life? It's to know God. To know God is the gift of eternal life. You could live forever without God, as those who are going to be judged will do. They will be eternally alive, but they won't have life, if that makes sense. Eternal life is to be with the Father in relationship with him, and we only have that through Jesus Christ. And so in that sense, Jesus Christ is eternal life. He is the mode and the means by which we have eternal life, to live with him forever. So the gift of, of eternal life is, is nothing less than being intimate, an intimate relationship with, and in fellowship with God. Jesus is the perfect son, the ultimate disciple, isn't he? He's the obedient to the Father at all times. He's the example that we are to follow. And, in all ways, and, and, he's, and he's also finished the work that the Father has given him to do. So John 17, 4. For the wages of sin is death. Oh, no, that's the wrong verse. Here we go. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus was given a work to do, and he's accomplished that work. He's finished that work on earth that he came to do round one when he came the first time. Jesus has done that work. He's faithful to finish that work. Jesus has made it possible for fallen, filthy sinners like me to be brought back into relationship with a holy, perfect God. And anyone else who would put their faith and trust in Christ, he promises to do that. So back to our text now in John 4. Let's get some water before I... Remember I said earlier that Jesus wanted to teach his disciples what time it is. Well, in verses 35 to 38, you look down, he teaches them that it's harvest time. That's what time it is. So... Do you not say, he says, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. And I think Jesus here is, is as he often did, using his surroundings as a teaching point. So potentially here they are now with these fields, um, these crops that are growing. And here, who's coming now towards him, most likely dressed in white? The woman with the townspeople. And he's, uh, he's pointing and saying, look up and look. See, there is a spiritual harvest ahead of you that is ripe for the reaping. Beautiful. John MacArthur comments on this verse. He says that their white clothing seen above the growing grain may have looked like white heads on the stalks, an indication of readiness for harvest. So this is a beautiful picture now of, of Jesus trying to open their eyes to see what really what's, what's right in front of them. Jesus continues, already one who, in verse 36, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap, he's he's talking to the disciples, for that which you did not labor, others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. So Jesus is bringing his disciples up to speed with what's actually going on. And he's saying, open your eyes and see that there is a spiritual harvest here. There's people ready to come to faith. And this harvest needs to be reaped. They need to continue to be, have the gospel shared with them. And they're going to come to faith. And so in one sense, Jesus is, is we're seeing the, the, the divinity of Christ here. In that he's, looking for, he's, he's seeing what's going to happen in the future. He's saying, look, these people coming, salvation is coming. To these people, they're, they're going to they're they're put their faith in it, their, their trust in me. Here's a harvest coming now, and you need to be ready to reap it. There's people that are going to come to faith as a result of others sowing. And think about that, the, potentially the others that he's talking about is that they, these guys would have had access to the Old Testament scriptures. Now the seed, as we hear when um, Jesus talks about the parable of the sower, is what? What's the seed? What's sown? It's the word of God. And it's sown into the field. And what's the, what's the field? The hearts of people, isn't it? So the picture here is, is those with, the word, with, with God's word 
sowing that seed into the hearts of people in order that a harvest would come, that they would come to faith. Some are going to reject it, but others are going to receive it uh, and come to faith. So it's exciting to see people come to, to, to faith, isn't it? Hopefully we've, we've, we've witnessed that, we've experienced that. Um, to see somebody go from a place of not understanding to understanding, to a place of darkness to light, a place on their, on their journey where they're coming to understand that, wow, I can be forgiven for my sin. There's a saviour who is willing to save me. And there's someone called Jesus who is this Messiah. And as, as people are beginning to come into understanding of that, and then to see them come to faith, it's a beautiful thing. And to be a part of that, it's amazing, isn't it? Because really what's going on here is, is, is Jesus is saying to his disciples, and then therefore to, to all who put their faith and trust in Christ, all, all disciples of the church, that in many ways we're like farmers. We've got a seed, and the seed is God's word, and we are to sow that seed in the hearts of men and women, in the hearts of our neighbours, of our family. We are to sow that seed, we're to take that seed and sow it. Well, I haven't got much seed. Well, look at this woman. She had maybe one or two little seeds, the little bit that she knew, and she took that, and now look at the harvest that's coming as a result of it, of her just saying, basically, look, my life's changed. Come and see the man that did it. And now this harvest is coming as a result of that. Oh, my goodness. How many... I think about how many missed harvests there have been in my life. Harvests that would have come if I'd have been bold enough just to share my faith with somebody. Just to say, Jesus has changed my life. And let me, let, me, let, me, let me share with you how he's done it in some ways that he's done it. Not the whole dumping the whole gospel message potentially. There's time where that will happen and that it's necessary that that happens. But there's also a time for just a simple, no matter where you're at, Lord, look, you, come and see. Come and see Jesus. Exciting. So there's a harvest of souls waiting to receive Jesus. And yet, as Jesus said, the laborers are few. Now, if we, the issue is, Often for us, why, do we, why, don't, why don't we tell other people about Christ? What stops us? It's often fear. We're scared of maybe losing a friendship. I mean, it might be a, a loved one that we, we, we obviously we care about or, or a friend or someone at work. And if I begin to talk about Jesus, they're not really going to, it's just going to mess things up. You know, we kind of got our little thing going, going. Sometimes it's pride. Other times, it's, you know, it's just a, a, a cold-heartedness and unwillingness. Actually, you can even find yourself in a, in a place where, where, like Jonah, Lord, I don't want you to bless them. I, don't, I know that if I begin to talk to them about you, there's a, there's a chance that they may come to faith and be blessed and have this great gift that I've got in relationship with you. They might then begin to share that. That's, it's off-key, but that's, if we're honest, there's times and there's people that we feel that way about. And the evidence is there are certain people we never... So I could say to you, and I'm not saying I necessarily feel this way about it, but I could say to you, I've, well, I have tried to witness to, to a, a Muslim, but for the most part, I, 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 I take a wide step. Because in my mind, often I'm thinking, well, there's, there's just no point. They're, they're so far gone. Jehovah's Witnesses, I've tried, tried, and tried, and tried to the point I'm like, but that's, that's not right, is it? That's not right. But there are things that stop us from sharing our faith. And yet, as we... Jesus said to his disciples, we're called to make disciples, aren't we? Every single one of us, every single believer is called to make disciples. For some of us, it will be literally, all we've got is that one or two seeds. Don't really know much about the Bible. I don't really know much about Christ. But what I do know is my life is changed as a result of this person that I'm in relationship with. He's gone from being potentially this God that's far off to, to now I'm in a personal relationship with him. And my life has changed. Hopefully there are people here that can put their hand up and say, you know what, I'm, I'm certainly not where I was. Not where I want to be, but I, my life has changed. My life has transformed. There's now peace. I have a peace with God. He's in the boat. The, the, the storms and, and issues still come, but you know what? He's in the boat with me. He's there for me to go, Jesus, look, there's a storm. Please help me. And he gets up and says, peace, be still. Or be strong, my son. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to get through this. It's all good. My life is changed. And yet, even as I say that, there's, there's, there's a part of me that's going, yeah, but, but Mark, you still struggle with this and you still struggle. But the reality is my life has changed as a result of meeting Christ. Because of what he's done. I see that, that my family is able to see that and others, others are able to see that. And hopefully that is a testimony for many of us. What would have happened if somebody didn't, didn't do this for me? 
If somebody didn't take the seed that they had and share the gospel with me, what would have happened? No harvest. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him. Actually, before we go into that, I just want to, want to, want to talk about the fact that the, the beautiful teamwork and harmony that goes between those who sow and those who reap. Often when we've, I know, definitely know I, 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 I do this. When I've shared the gospel, if that person isn't on, the, on their knees calling out for Jesus at the end of the conversation, in my mind, it's been a failure. I've, and I go away, I'm like, oh, I should have said this, I shouldn't have said that, I should have, oh, there's that scripture now. That, and because as, once again, in my mind, sharing the gospel faithfully means that somebody's going to repent. But as we see here, sowing and reaping. Most of the time, we're just going to be sowing seed. And we're not the first person sharing the gospel. I didn't, is there anybody here, maybe there is one or two, who came to faith as a result of hearing the gospel for the very first time, you never heard it from nobody else? Wow, nobody. So we see it's a process. That should encourage us as those who have got to go and share our faith, isn't it? It's not my work. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I've got a little seed and I'm going to sow it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, in this conversation, maybe it might just be as simple as, what did you do this weekend? Well, I went to church. Maybe that's, just, that's the first conversation. They don't ask any more questions after that, so you kind of leave it. Next time it's, okay, well, did you go to church again this week? Yes, I did, and this is what we did. I mean, and, and so it doesn't have to be, we start with what we've got, don't we? Because I think, and I say that because I think often we can put ourselves off of even going there because we feel like we haven't got all of our things lined up and everything straight. But we can take what we've got, as this woman did, and God will use it. God will bring a harvest as a result of it. So look at the result of this woman sharing this precious gift that she'd been given. Others now become partakers of this precious gift of eternal life. She's gone from most likely, as I said before, being despised to now being a vessel, a conduit, if you like, of life. Someone that God would use to point to Jesus, who is eternal life. And that's ultimately what we're doing, isn't it? When we're sharing... No matter how fancy or wonderful your gospel presentation is, if you're not pointing people to Jesus as the one and only saviour, the, on, the only source of their salvation, the only hope that they have, then it's a, it's a waste of time. It's pretty words and it sounds nice and it's great. That's really what we're doing. So in a simple way, we're seeing what, what all gospel, gospel presentation should be is bringing people to Jesus, pointing people to Christ. So verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. This is amazing. I think it's the only time this ever happened in, in, in a town like this. They stay with him. What, the fact that Jew and, Jew and Samaritan are together in this way, they're asking a Jewish leader to come and stay with them was amazing in the first place. But then revival comes out of it. So when people meet the Savior for themselves, so we see uh, verse 41, and many more believed because of his word. So, so there are people that have believed now because of her word. And it's a bit like, I suppose, I come here and I stand up and I tell you my testimony. I tell you about Jesus and how wonderful he is and what he's done in my life. Some of you may be like, wow, you know, I believe, I believe what he's saying about that guy as a result of that. It's very different to me now saying to you, okay, come and now you meet him for yourself. And you, so now what's going to happen now? You're going to begin to have your own testimony. Your faith is going to begin to grow because you now have met him for yourself. And that's going to... And you get to a point like these guys where, in verse 32 where they're like, I said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said. And they're not dissing the woman. They're not like, we don't care about what you said anymore. But they're saying, we've gone on from that now. It's what we've heard for ourselves. Now having met Jesus, we believe. Not only do we believe, but, but verse 32, we know that this is indeed is the saviour of the world. What has John been pointing to and, and harping on about focusing on Jesus is the saviour of the world. And, and this, this really is the result we want from every, every, every presentation that we have and every, every gospel conversation we have. Sometimes we'll get to the point where somebody comes to faith. I was able to um, lead somebody to faith probably about a year ago now. I did Christianity explore with this person and see them have lots and lots of questions looking through the gospel of Mark and investigating for themselves, sharing with, sharing with them my understanding, but also as they get into the scriptures for themselves, and got to a place where they now come to faith in him for themselves and, and see him as, as, as the saviour of the world. You know, I don't know. If I'm honest, I think we can so often hear 
Jesus is the saviour of the world. He's the Messiah. He's the only way, way to be saved to the point where it becomes, and even, it, even now for many of you, it's like, uh, whatever. It doesn't really mean much. I often find myself in that place as well. But think about, the, think about what your life was like before Christ. If you're a Christian, what was your life, befo- your life like before meeting Jesus? The guilt, the shame, the presence of sin, very thick and very real for you. As much as you might put a front on it and, and, and you, know, you try to carry like you're a bad man or, or you're, you're, whatever the, the issue was. When you're lying down in your bed at night, you know that you're a sinner. You know that you've broken God's laws. You know that you're wrong. There's something wrong with you. To now come into a relationship with Christ and still have issues, but to know that he's paid the payment. He's paid the price for that. The most expensive. It's a free gift, isn't it? All can come, and yet he's paid, paid the price with his own blood. How now are we going to just hold on to that gift and not tell anybody else about it? It does bring into question, doesn't it? Do we really believe that that's what he's done? And I think, I think this woman's ex- excitement was just from the fact that maybe this is the Messiah, just, just at the, the, the hope that this could be the Messiah, she's excited. This is, this is so big that I have to tell people about it. If there's any chance that this, this guy is genuine, then I must tell people. But, and there are those of us who know that Jesus is real, know that he's the saviour of the world, not just because we've heard it, but because we're in relationship with him, and yet we still don't tell anybody else about it. And I'm saying that to myself first and foremost. And yet I'm personally confident, more confident today having been in relationship with Jesus than I was when I first became a believer. had a, a baby faith, as it were. And that's what I love about God's word. And the tr- If something's real, you know, somebody, come, somebody can come and hoodwink you, can't they? A salesman will come and sell you something, and then you buy it. I mean, you go and do what they say, and, and maybe for three weeks it works, and, and then the fourth week it begins to break down. It, you begin to see it's, it's, it's fake. It's not really what I thought it was. Over time, you see that. But when something's true and real, it can stand the test of time. And that's what happens when you come into a relationship with Christ. The more you walk with him, the more you understand that actually he is the saviour of the world, the more that reality comes home to you. Do we not care about the world around us who are going to hell? Who don't have this gift of eternal life that we have been so graciously given, so lovingly given, he cared so much for us that he left the realms of hell, stooped down to come and drag me, a wretch. You don't know what I've done. I know what I've done. And he knows what I've done. And the same is for all of you. I don't know what you've done. But he does. And yet he still loves you. We have friends and family members who love us, but they don't necessarily, there's a big areas of our life that they don't know about. And the reason for that is because we're, we're frightened that if they were to really know what I was like, they probably wouldn't be giving me praises. They wouldn't be saying, oh, you're such a nice guy, you're this, you're that. And yet he knows that and he loves us. And there are those out there who he wants to bring into his kingdom. He's given us seed. Are we going to sow? Are we going to share the gospel with people? As I said, it can, be, it can start from a basic place, even of handing out a tract. Brother Mikey encouraged us, didn't he, this week to give a tract to somebody. Can I, did anybody do that this week? It's not a... Yeah. A few of us did. I did not because there's anything. And the Lord just provided an opportunity for me to. It was, I felt like it was going to be a teaching opportunity in one way, but it was a teaching opportunity in, in, in another way. In that I was really hungry coming home from a long day at work, maybe like Jesus was here at the world, really hungry. Here's now an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody sitting down on the floor at a Kentucky. Looks to me, I'm looking, he looks like a, a crackhead, looks like a drug addict, he looks like a down and out. Really, Lord, I'm tired. I'm not really, not really interested, if I'm honest. All right, I'll, get, I'll grab 40p and give him 40p. I mean, and then he begins to talk to me, saying, oh, um, I hope God is looking out for me, or something like that. And there was the opportunity for me to, and I'd love to say to you, you know what I did? Thinking about the fact that I was going to be preaching, 
I just took him to one side and I, began, I broke down the gospel with him. I shared the gospel. I didn't. I gave him a track, praise God, and I told him that Jesus loves him. Shared a few, few, few things with him, but, I, but, but I, was just, I was really conscious that there, been a, there would have been a time where I wouldn't have thought about that. I'd have popped out the car. He was, he was on a plate. This guy's he, he wants to know. I mean, he's, 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 he's led the conversation talking about the Lord, talking about God at least, and that, that's a, a prime opportunity. But it just showed me how, wow, Lord, my heart is, is quite hard and has become hard. And maybe some of us are in that place and we need to pray for the Lord to soften our hearts, give us a heart for the lost, give us a heart for his glory, that we would, we would come to a place, as Jesus did, he was very clear about his mission, wasn't he? Which is why he was able to, I'm hungry, but right now this is what the, the Father wants me to do. And we're able to be in that place, and we need to get back to that place. I think the older we get, the more we're aware of just how finite life is. The more funerals we have to attend, the more we're, we're faced with the reality that, wow, Lord, that, 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 that light that just seems so far off seems to be getting quite close now. And at any minute, I could be gone. Praise God if you're a believer. But there are those people around us who have not heard about Christ, those people that we know. And we could be, and beautiful things, it's not like we've got to go out and find loads of people. There are people that we know already that we can be thinking about, that we can be taking, praying about, praying for them and praying, Lord, Lord, today would you give me an opportunity to speak about you? And then, and help me, Lord, to take that opportunity when you provide it, to walk through that door. Give me the boldness to do that. And sow a seed. Don't push it. Beautiful thing, I heard a guy. So we're going to be finishing in a minute. I heard a guy called Dick Lucas, who's one of the founders of the, brother, help me out, Proclamation Trust uh, at Cornhill. Cornhill course, a course that we went on. Faithful um, brother in the, in the faith. And he was talking about the, the text that Pastor E was sharing on last week, this issue with the woman at the well. And he, was, he, was, he, t- he talked about responsive evangelism. And he was saying that Jesus, if, if you notice what happens in the conversation between Jesus it's almost like the woman leads it. So she has a question. Jesus is there ready to answer that question. He doesn't go into... There's obviously so much that he could have gone into with her. But he's... And I think there's something for us to, to learn about that. That in our conversations daily with people, as we're praying, Lord, okay, I'm scared, but Lord, give me, give me an opportunity to speak about you today. And as, as I said, today, it may just be one simple thing that you say about Christ. But then you, and then you build on that later. Now, if you know anything about seed, you don't plant it in the ground and then the next day come rip it up and it hasn't even had a chance to grow yet. It needs to be watered. The Father, God brings the increase, doesn't he? The one sows and another reaps and he brings the increase. So it's his work. But we're called to do it. We're called to sow that seed. I mean, it can just be a simple conversation with one person or it can be like Brother Mikey out standing up, hurling out the gospel in a box. Not everybody is necessarily called to do that. But we are all called to share our faith with others. We're all called to, to tell people about Jesus. And, and as I said, why would we not want to? I suppose we, maybe we need to start in that place. Lord, what's, what, what is it in my heart? Lord? Why don't I want to tell other people about you? Now we know there's, there's sin. We know there's Satan who, who would have my life so full of stuff and so busy. But I also have a responsibility the question, why is it that I don't tell others about you, but I talk about football? What? Lord, I can talk about my hair. Not me. Others, others can. Lord, I can talk about clothing. Don't get me started about the government because I've got a lot to say about that. And other people are preaching at us all the time their stuff, and they're unashamedly preaching to us things that stir them up, things that they're passionate about, things that they're excited about. So maybe that's a starting point for some of us to get that passion back. Go back to the scriptures and remind ourselves, oh my days, you are the saviour of the world. You are my saviour. You have saved me. You are God. You deserve all of my worship. And begin to sing praises to him. And repent and ask the Lord to forgive us that we're have become cold or that we're fearful. That the gift of eternal life in Christ has been graciously lavished on us and we should want to share it with this lost world, shouldn't we? Please join me.
as I pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this amazing gift. The gift of eternal life given to us in Christ. Thank you, Father, that you cared enough, you loved us enough to send your Son and that he was willing. He didn't go under duress, he was willing to come, to stoop down and get us out of the miry clay, to drag us out of the pit that we were in. Some of us, Lord, were were drug addicts, some of us were liars, some of us were adulterers. Some of us were fornicators. Some of us were murderers in the sense that we hated others. Lord, none of us are without sin. We are all guilty before you. And yet you didn't allow that to stop you, Lord, to send your son to come and save us. Lord, I thank you so much for that. Thank you for salvation. Thank you that you saved me, Lord. You're such a gracious and loving father. I pray, Lord, you'd help all of us to rekindle that flame Lord to remember our first love and Lord for some who maybe not even had that first love yet we've been going under the banner of Christian but never actually submitted and surrendered to you Lord would you help them to own that Lord and to submit to you as their Lord and Saviour and Father would you give us a heart and a passion for your glory a heart and a passion for the lost for our neighbours, for our, our loved ones, for our friends. Lord, would you care more, help us to care more about your will and your work than we do about our own, that we'd follow Jesus' example in that. We give you glory, honour and praise. Father, we acknowledge that we're nothing without you. And Lord, that we can do nothing without you. And yet in Christ we can do all things. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You promised to be with us as we're in the workplace, as we're at school, as we're on the bus. We're not alone. You promise to be with us as we seek to sow that seed. Help us, Lord. Don't let us become complacent with a, a, a bag full of seed, Lord, and it's just going to waste. Help us, Lord, to sow that seed a little bit each day. Lord, I repent of my unwillingness to do that. Lord, I repent of the coldness of heart, Lord, and pray that you would help me and as you help my brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.